0: Deoday, August agus falchia you're very welcome back to Glower, the podcast here at Aris i Connolly, the James Connolly Visitor Centre on the Falls Road in Belfast. This is the first series of the podcast in 2022 and we have revamped the format slightly for the year ahead. Each series will now have a theme based on a quote of James Connolly's and we'll be asking our guests to reflect on the quote as they explore what it is that they do and what motivates them. The theme for this series is based on an 1897 piece of writing by Connolly where he wrote if you remove the English army tomorrow and hoist the green flag over Dublin Castle unless you set about the organisation of the Socialist Republic your efforts would be in vain. We're really looking forward to welcoming our guests in the year ahead and hope that you'll join us as we explore the writings of James Connolly and their relevance to us today.
1: So Jade, it's to Falsh War hey, Glore, you're very welcome to Glore, uh, Saoirse and I'm delighted to, to introduce you to our guest, so this week I'll be speaking to Saoirse McHugh um, and we'll be looking at the, the theme of this uh, series of Glore, which is based on James Connolly's quote from 1897, uh, the quote if you remove the English Army tomorrow and hoist the green flag over Dublin Castle, unless you said about the organization of a socialist Republic, your efforts would be in vain. So um, quite a, 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 an informative quote and, and certainly an interesting one um, given the times that we're in as well. Um, so sirsha before we, we get into that end of things, um, if you want to introduce yourself and tell me a bit about yourself and what you do and how you find yourself there.
2: OK, well, thanks a million for having me. Um, So my name is Saoirse McHugh. I'm from Ackal Island, off Mayo. And I I always struggle with people like, oh, describe yourself. I, first and foremost, I suppose I'm an environmentalist. Um, I'm currently, as we were chatting just before we started recording, I'm currently doing an apprenticeship uh, with a farrier, which is a lot of work. But I think as many people involved in activism of any sort know that it can you, sometimes you can turn around after three or four years and think, like, oh my God, my life. I I also need, you know, an income <laughs> and stuff like that. Um so I first got involved in maybe environmentalism. Or maybe maybe that's not what I'd say. I'd say I've always been an environmentalist. Like from a child, you know, I had a and I, I didn't know what it was, I suppose, but I had a deep connection kind of with the environment and with everything around us. And it probably led me to do quite, mis- you know, misguided things. Like I know I was a divil at age like 10 or 11 for, uh, you know, getting for Christmas, asking for something like, do you remember, you know, NGOs would do these like uh, adopt uh, a tiger, you know, this sort of thing, <laughs> or like adopt an acre of rainforest. And I was like, I'm going to save the world by adopting by some big... <laughs> things I don't understand, uh, naked rainforest, but the intent, uh, the intention, I think, was good. It was just misguided. Um, And as I got older, I suppose, I started trying to get more actively involved in doing something about the environment. And this led me a lot to agriculture. Like, I grew up on an island that's predominantly farming. Uh, I'm from, our house was sheep farming, and before that, then subsistence farming um and I got really into how agriculture and land use um is the way I see it is like one of the fundamental it's our fundamental interaction with the land um and it's our it's our primary and most important interaction with the land and I you know I'm still unsure of the answer but maybe you know in my early 20s I was like okay what is the best way I can do to to help improve the situation in Ireland in particular um and yeah I still don't know the answer but I was you know I was led to things like food sovereignty and you know the food sovereignty movement which around the world you know the Via Campesina is the international peasants movement and you know, it's quite a vibrant, thriving movement, I suppose. Um, and then, you know, trying to situate that in Ireland, I just I ended up thinking, okay, I'll, I'll run for politics. This is this is how you do it. And so I, I tried that. I was going around to different politicians. Maybe maybe running wasn't the first thing I decided to do. I was like, oh, I'll just inform policy. And once I tell these politicians, you know, this great idea, it'll it'll be perfect and it'll all work out. Um, but it was from these meetings with politicians. I was so naive <laughs> uh, that I ended up um, meeting Eamon Ryan and he said to me, you know, would you run for MEP? And I had actually never up to that and I hadn't considered myself running. So I did run for MEP um, in the Midlands Northwest constituency, which is like, it's a very big constituency. It's like from Mayo to kind of Dublin loud maybe and then you know up as far as like the border and it's a huge rural constituency um and I canvassed an awful lot and I tried and I yeah I didn't get it and then I was like but this is it this is what I'm going to do I'm going to run for election and I'm going to fix everything and then I ran for a few more elections I ran for a general in mail uh and I ran in a shannon there are two shannons I think which is a weird election like it's it's a very different
1: structure to the rest yeah
2: yeah um but you know a lot of the time especially after the European election I started getting this real nagging kind of doubt because I'd interacted a lot more with politicians and and with I suppose that those kind of institutions and I started thinking like is this is this a way to be helpful I don't know and I, I still I still don't know what the way to be and I say helpful, but I mean it to be effective, you know, at improving things. I still don't know. But after the general election, or maybe it was after the Shannon, I decided that kind of looking at it more clearly, I, I just don't think, you know, I, I don't think that's the way I could be most effective. And I also don't think that getting people elected, like, is perhaps the way, is the first step in changing things like I do think no matter who you have elected if you have the people if you change if the people's minds are changed politicians will follow so you could have anyone left really um I believe I think I believe you see I'm not, I'm not fully sure I genuinely you know I usually like oh is this the best way so currently at the moment then I'm involved um I, I you know I left the Green Party and then I I just stopped even thinking about running uh, for election again and I'm involved with a group called Shliella. I'm a member of a group called Hall of Bill, which is the Irish branch of the Via Campesina and Schliella is like the is group that works an awful lot on um, data centres and importation of gas at the moment is what we're focusing on um, and you know being in being involved in these sort of groups that are outside of maybe NGOs, they're outside of the political structure. It's definitely hard. Like I can see why people think, oh, I'll just run for election. Like I, that's why I thought it because, you know, it, it's a clear, this is what you have to do. You have to raise money, knock on doors, get elected, and then everything's solved. Um, and I, I feel myself, it's more difficult to to do, you know, the edu- educational work to do organizing work and and to try and strategize as to what is effective um so it's definitely challenging but i you know I'm, I'm constantly learning especially from like activists around me um who have you know been struggling with these questions for decades so that's currently where i'm at now
1: it's really interesting and, and i one of this is something that has come up um when i've been speaking to people um for these interviews is it, it struck me there that you said it is how much our kind of upbringing and things and where we're from really informs where we where we go um and, and it's amazing like we could have been brought up for example in the same place um, at the same time but how it influences us is, is going to be totally different and uh, for anyone who's been to ACL um it's absolutely stunning there's no way that you couldn't be influenced by it and by the kind of the power of nature um and i certainly think over the last year or two that's something that has struck a lot of people is is kind of the importance and the 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 power of kind of the environment around us, I suppose like anyone you've been on a journey and and yours has been maybe more public than other people's um if you're looking at being most effective kind of in the community have you found kind of within the local community particularly over the last year where we've been kind of last two years we've been kind of cocooned has there been anything that's sort of struck you that has um I suppose, positive that has come out of people um maybe being more aware of what's around them and and not having as many distractions
2: I yeah I think so and and I suppose just just to add in to what I was just saying there previously like definitely running for election you know I, I'm not saying it's not a good thing to do I think just for me it's a combination of how I can be most effective and how I can be most um how I can feel best about it like it's also yeah. very you know it's still very worthwhile I'm not <laughs> trying it's, to know it's, like... it's
1: very much people have different you know strengths and, and different yeah Everyone has a different way of, of impacting on the world or on their job or on their lives. So it's it's about finding that right path
2: for you, I suppose. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but in, in response to that question, I do think like out of the pandemic, there has definitely been an appreciation of things like slowing down, but also well, at least around Ackle, because, you know, the we were under like, a, was it a 5K or a 2K limit? Something tiny, especially in such a rural area, like the Milton. not much in your 5K. Um, I think what a lot of people realized was that a lot of the stuff that, you know, before we might have thought that we need um, was kind of reassessed. And while it's still nice, I think people realize that what we need is a lot smaller, maybe, than we had kind of come to believe, like um, in terms of, you know, outside entertainment and consumption and stuff like that. Um, I do wonder, though, is you kind of now that a lot of restrictions are being lifted everywhere, is that just going to kind of fade away? Is that is that realization going to fade? Because a lot of that, you know, a lot of that stuff um, that was limited to us during the lockdown is really nice as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah, So yeah, it's it. always yeah, to be like, oh, it's just nice to bake bread and, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a nice house and you're not, you know, stuck with loads of roommates in a tiny little house or houseless, um, you know, it, it might, maybe it might just fade into people saying, oh yeah, do you remember the pandemic? That was mad, wasn't it? You know, um, so I, I don't know what the long-term kind of impact in the community are. Um,
1: that it sort of leads us into, though, if we are looking to the future, um, and, and I'll draw us back, I suppose, to the quote that, that I stated at the beginning uh, that Connolly wrote um, in 1887. So if you remove the English army tomorrow and hoist the green flag over Dublin Castle, and then she said about the organisation of a socialist republic, your efforts would be in vain. He was very much laying out what he saw as the best... Um, a mechanism for providing a, a good future for Ireland, you know, that it wasn't symbolic change, that it was fundamental change, um, out his aspirations. I suppose if we are looking to the future, Saoirse, and, and you know, and, uh, uh, your aspirations for a new Ireland or the future of Ireland or whatever form you think it'll take, um, what are those aspirations? What form do you think it'll take? What, what are the fundamental changes, I suppose, that you would maybe hope to see?
2: Um, well, I suppose it's a it's a massive question and so I don't bore everyone to tears. I'll probably just focus on environmentally. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, because I've often thought like, so say we're going to, say we talk about a, the potential of a United Ireland, for instance, like that is an enormous, enormous opportunity. And I think the enormity of that opportunity and in a lot of ways, the freedom of it um, maybe scares people a bit because it's really it's, you know, I think there's comfort in these like historical documents and these historical, uh, you know, constitutions and ways of doing things that people, I think, I think it's just comforting. Um, and you're really like, if you think about what a united Ireland could be, it, it could mean that Ireland could be anything in a way. Um, and I, what I hope for that, so I don't know what will happen, but what I hope happens. Is that, you know, instead of becoming um, a united Ireland Inc., like the very worst parts of, of, of what we have already, what I'd love to see would be a real break from and and a, and a true break from, and I'm just talking environmentally, but from our relationship with land. So I know was it 18. maybe later than that i know michael Davitt uh talked an awful lot about um about wanting to you know not just abolish landlords but abolish landlordism which never never actually came about unfortunately and the way i see it um is that we in we've been left here with you know ways of of interacting with the land and interacting with ownership that were imposed upon us. Um, and, and like they were, you know, they're unfit for purpose 200 years ago. And I still think that these ways of interacting with the land are unfit for purpose now. Um, like if you look at Ireland, you know, both north and south of the border, there's quite a, an attitude to our land and by land i'm also like including like all the non-human life on the land Um, there's quite an attitude towards that of as if you know as if we ourselves now were colonizers like it's extract export profit off like this is how our land is treated in Ireland like Ireland um Ireland is so low it it ranks so low and, and a huge amount of environmental indicators like water quality, you know, uh, access to land, plastic use, pollution, overfishing. like all of these things Ireland for such a, a small for such a small island and such a, an island with such a green reputation. Um, you know we have appalling environmental indicators. We have very little habitat. We have very little areas of land that are accessible to everybody. And, and what I would love to see from United Ireland is, or for the future of Ireland, is, and I, I don't know how you go about it, but a complete re-evaluation of how we see our land and what land means to us. Um, like, if you drive, drive around the countryside, if you do not own land, you don't really have access to land. Even if you own, if you have a house on a site that was the corner of somebody's field, you still live on a network of roads. You don't have land, and people will say, "Oh, out in the countryside, it's green, fresh air." And you might have fresh air, but you cannot—you um, cannot access land. And the land around us is used for profit, or it's seen as being going to waste. Um, like I have you know, there's there's constant arguments and discussions, especially within agriculture, over what counts as good land and bad land, which, you know, is only a meaningful thing if, you, if you're applying a single metric to it, which is that of its ability to produce. And even with our production, you know, food production, we don't actually produce that much food for people. We produce a huge amount of product for export. And um, I know it's often said that, oh but this you know we're feeding the world blah 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 you know these aren't staples we're exporting we're expect, we're exporting you know high quality luxury items uh, that are really resource intensive and to take up all the land to do that we in Ireland import a huge amount of food and um, and what I would like to see would be a kind of a refocusing on you know, and, and, a, and a broader conversation, and I don't know how these things actually take place. It, they seem to be the sort of thing you can only look back on and see, okay, that was the, the national mood shifting there. But say, you know, what do we want from our land? Do we want it to be privately owned for export? Uh, you know, to produce goods for export? Or do we want land that feeds people, you know, good food, affordably, everyone has access to. Do we want land that can be, you know, that's recreational for everybody do we want land that you know is thriving and full of life or do we want to continue the way we are like there's a there's great uh posters in the david museum in strait which is just east Mayo there um and i always think about them and i love the style of them and everything but you know this was back in the 18 the late 1800s there was no landlord's grasslands there were these kind of posters because they were pushing people off the land And putting stock on the land because it's more profitable and, you know, it's easier to manage than having people, you know, live in the land, on the land, with the land. Um, And it often strikes me how that's exactly what we have now. We just have landlords' grasslands. And so I think I might be dusting out a few of those posters and photocopying them and popping (laughs) them up all over the place.
1: That's really interesting. And, And do you feel, because climate as a a general topic and and, and land and environment is is a key part of that and as you say particularly here um it's something we maybe don't have a great relationship with do you think uh you talked about public attitude shifting do you think that the the younger generation coming up you know do do you think there is a different attitude do you think that or do you think there's still a way to go in terms of educating um people uh, who are coming up and who who are going to be the future of, of, of the country
2: well, I think like I, I think younger kids now, well teenagers, I suppose, would be who I'd, you know, hear from, um they are way more educated, like about these kind of issues than even, you know, even I was, and I thought myself an environmentalist at that age. Um but I, I do wonder and and actually I don't worry about it because I, I know every single activist and, and person even does go on their own journey of learning. Like, no doubt you believe something, like, with your whole heart when you're 17 or 25 or 35, that 10 years on, you're like, oh, my God, what a <laughs> stupid take that was. So, like, I, I do think they, I, I think once you're interested, you will start your own journey of learning. And I think a lot with environmentalism, there's really only, you know, a few Kind of, no, there's not even a few. There's one, there's one place if you truly believe in it, if you truly are like, we need to stop killing everything, there's really only one place that you can get to, which is, you know, we need to reduce consumption uh, and we need to reduce waste and we need to reduce consumption. Now, actually, as I'm saying that, there are definitely weird, like Malthusian offshoots people can go on. Um, but even then, I I would say a lot of that is quite disingenuous, and that's a a, a mental trick to get away with us in richer countries not reducing, not reducing consumption. Um, but more generally, like I I'm not worried about the teenagers at all. More generally, I, I do think there is a lot of education that's needed, and things like um, greenwashing is really so like, you know, companies using tricks and kind of like the tricks, their accounting tricks, usually like saying, I, someone had a picture up on Twitter there. I can't remember who it was of a diesel pump and it was like carbon neutral fuel. And it's like, okay, well, that's meaningless. Um, like they must have planted, I don't know, trees or something like that. Or the, I see the Atlantic Dawn Group, which is a big, big fisheries group uh, company, up in Killybegs have this enormous fishing trawler, but it's like super green, they were saying. And I'm like, okay, well, you're still like a factory, you know, like an enormous factory boat. Um, how green can you be? But but I think things like that really do confuse people because I think a lot of, most people, you know, want to do what they can within their, their, their life parameters, you know, within what their life will allow them to do. Um, and you know of course if someone's offering you something really easy like that um people you know you you will do what you can and like i myself i'm still like okay well i suppose it's better than not a company not replanting a tree but then you know i don't know is it but what i mean to say is like a lot of these things then just end up becoming distractions because you know the whole purpose of a lot of the greenwashing is to not question consumption in the first place or the amount of consumption um, and, and the amount of production and consumption by particular companies and in particular industries. Um, so I do think there needs to be more education, not so much as what the problems are resulting in, which is you know, biodiversity collapse and climate change, but how the problems might be solved Um, and what that actually might mean for our lives.
1: Yeah, that's that's, that's a really interesting take. and I I definitely think that conversation around consumption is something that's becoming um, more of a key issue because you're right, I think everyone knows that climate change is happening. There may be people who, who choose to believe that it isn't, but it, it clearly is. Um, and as you say, it's really about looking at, at, at how we can address that rather than, than the outcome. Saoirse, thank you so much. That was a really interesting conversation um, and I appreciate you coming on. And yeah, my yogurt.
2: Well, thanks a million for
1: having me.